Welcome to The Ladder, a podcast series for aspiring turf managers currently climbing the career ladder, and also for those already at the top who would like to better understand their Generation Y staff members. Sit back, settle in, and enjoy. Welcome to this episode of The Ladder, brought to you by Steck Equipment. I'm your host today, John Reitman, and we're here at the DeVu Golf and Event Center in Covington, Kentucky, with Superintendent Ron Frecking. How long have you been a golf course superintendent? I have been, um, I think I'm coming up on 30 years. I kind of lost track. So I know I started working here in the summer of 88. But you've taken kind of a different, non-traditional route to get to where you are, right? Yeah, so I, I was... Uh, I was, in the, I was a mechanic in the Air Force, not a jet engine mechanic. I was a, what they called support equipment mechanic, basically working on, you know, small diesel and gas engines. So um, when I got out of service, I tried a job at a factory that lasted about two weeks. Couldn't, couldn't handle being inside like that. Um, my dad was actually the golf course superintendent here at the time, and he needed a mechanic. And so I started working for him. What was your dad's name? Uh, Jim Frecking. At that, that was about the same time they were starting to build Triple Crown Country Club to the south of here in Ridgewood. And uh, my dad left here to take a position there. And uh, the operator here at the time was Ralph Landrum. He came to me and he said, you know, the job's yours if you want it. I can't say I really knew anything about anything, to be honest with you. Except I'd been a golfer for a long time. I knew the game. I didn't know the maintenance end of it at all. Um, and for those who aren't familiar with Ralph who, or might not remember, he was a, sort of a legendary local golf pro correct. who got a, a cup of coffee on the PGA Tour back in the 80s. Yeah, played a couple of years on tour, um, finished eighth in the U.S. Open one year. Local guy, golfing legend, and the story goes. But, uh, yeah, so I started working for Ralph, and... You know, kind of went to every seminar that I could go to and picked the brains of other local guys when I had a problem or needed a question answered and just kind of learned on the fly, I guess. Been here ever since. When you make that immediate transition from mechanic to superintendent, what was that first day on the job, the superintendent like? It was a little overwhelming, but, you know, we were a lot smaller operation than two. It was only a nine-hole golf course. Um... We had a quick couple of fairways and not very many pieces of equipment, uh, a couple of seasonal guys for staff. Um, it was just a different time, you know. Things were just totally different back then. Uh, I think I think expectations were lower. And I know our traffic was a lot smaller then, so um, I guess it just all worked out for me in a good way. <laughs> Who were some of the guys locally whose brains you picked when you when you needed some help. Yeah, a couple guys in particular. Uh, Roy Ladrigan, who uh, was the superintendent of Kenton County Golf Course then. Uh, 54, I think it's the only 54-hole golf course in the state of Kentucky. Um, and P.K. Hill was at Summit Hills Country Club back then. Those two guys, I, I leaned on those two guys a lot. Um, and then my dad had gone to Triple Crown, and the superintendent there was and still is, Mark Hicks. And, uh, you know... I would, I would get some information from Mark too, um, and my dad. So, so what was your dad's background? What got him into the golf business? He he didn't have a background in golf either. He had 
been here for quite a while. I can't remember. My dad must have started working here as a superintendent in the mid to late 70s, I think. Um, but before that, he had owned his own business doing roofing and painting. Um, I don't even remember what got him up here. I, I, I mean, he played golf up here and he liked golf, but other than that, you know, I, I don't know why he decided to switch and do what he's doing. He still works here for me now. He's mowed fairways. He's, uh, he just turned 85. So, oh wow! Yeah. So, how many people do you have working for you now? Uh, when I've got everyone here, counting all my seasonal guys, I've got about ten guys. So, I've only I've got a mechanic, and I've got one other guy that I consider full time. Everybody else is seasonal. And your your other full timer, what what is his job throughout the winter? Well, this is going to be his first winter, so we'll see. <laughs> um, we're always trying to trying to clean out around greens and stuff. You, Bush honeysuckle, invasive bush honeysuckle is a terrible problem in this area. Um, so we're always fighting that stuff. There's always plenty to do in the wintertime with uh, between the ash trees that aren't down in the bush honeysuckle and areas where we're trying to open up a little bit around greens. We stay busy. What were some of the things you did then, seminars you took to sort of get yourself up to speed in those early days? Um, so I remember I uh, attended a number of GCSAA seminars that were held within the region. I, I, I can, two I specifically remember were uh, drainage. That was a good one. And then there was another one that had to do with risk management, which if you know anything about our golf course is a pretty good topic because we're hilly. We've got some dangerous cart paths in a couple of spots. Some of that's been corrected over the years too. And then uh, UK had a program every February in Louisville, which was pretty timely and pretty good. And then, of course, uh, OSU's program that they put on with OTF. And uh, that, for a while, was in Cincinnati. Very convenient for me. And then it moved to Columbus, but I would attend that every year as well. And there was just some incredible knowledge to be had there, you know, industry leaders across the board. Who were some of the folks at either of those two places who you dealt with maybe on a, I don't say on a regular basis, but occasionally if there was someone you had to dial up and say, yeah. hey, I've, I've got this, have you ever seen this, or right. make some right. recommendations for yeah. me. Yeah, AJ Powell at UK was uh, legendary, and uh, Dan Potter as well. Um, at the OTF uh, seminar, it would be really not so much of any of the OTF professors, but just the speakers they would bring in. Um, and the knowledge that they had was, you know, incredible. Every year it would be, you know, Mark Coons or uh, just Matt Schaefer. I mean, all kinds of people, just, you know, huge names in the industry would be there every year. That was, for somebody like me, that was incredible. I just soaked up everything they had to say. You stand out as an example of you don't have to be the turf school guy to be a successful superintendent. Do you, could someone make that career track now? Do you think that would be possible? I don't know. You know, I wouldn't recommend it. I think it. I think I just got lucky and fell into the right situation. Um, I think you would certainly have to put in a lot of years as an assistant somewhere to, you know, gain that knowledge base and then earn the trust of whoever was going to make that hire to move you up to that position. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know if that's still possible or not. I assume it is. But you'd have to be in the right place at the right time.
With a commitment to quality and a passion for sourcing the latest innovations from Europe and North America, Steck Equipment has grown to be the go-to supplier for specialized turf equipment. Check out their line of phrase mowers, material handlers, laser graders, vacuum sweepers, blowers, verticutters, and seeders, decompactors, sand fillers, and much more at steckequipment.com. That's S-T-E-C equipment.com. When you first started here working for your dad, what were mowing heights like back then and what compared to what you're doing today? Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, they've changed a lot. I think I remember we mowed greens at uh, 3 sixteenths back then. Uh, and our team mower was a, an old national, a small little national mower. Um, at one time we were mowing fairways at like three quarters of an inch with a national triplex. Um, there was a, we had an old set of Jacobson gang mowers, like a five gang set or a six gang set, I guess it was. It's hard to remember, but they mowed the whole place. Uh, we had one of those old tractors, like uh, the Toro tractors, like what Arnold Palmer had the Quaker State commercial with. We had one of those things here. And they pulled those gang mowers everywhere for a long time. Um, you know, expectations were just so much different back then. Uh, but yeah, cutting heights have gone down, and playing areas have gotten defined, and the Zoysia fairways have helped us incredibly there too. So, yeah, it's changed. For young guys in the business now, or those looking to get into it, what would you tell them? What kind of tips might you give to people now who are thinking about getting into this business as far as picking a school, picking a superintendent to work for, regional employment, based on the things you've seen and how things have changed? Yeah. Um, you know, i got two schools of thought on that. There's a lot of good turf programs out there, and I think it, it helps. If you're going to go to turf school, you need to go to a reputable school. But, you know, you don't have to pick from the top two or three. There's a lot of good turf schools out there. Uh, I think you need to decide which track you're going to go down, whether you're going to be at the high-end private places or if you're more interested in, you know, daily fee, municipal, public golf. Um, I think it's a little difficult to go from the, the big budget, high-end places and then go to work at a daily fee place that might not have the resources that you're used to. On the other end, I think if you come from that daily fee background, it may be a little bit difficult to get used to the expectations at that high-end club. Um, and I see those guys as not really mixing and matching very well, I guess. It seems like once you get on one track, that's where you stay, you know, whichever track it might be. Um, but the other thing I see is, if, you know, if you're going to do the turf school route, whichever end you think you like or, or wherever you're, you know, feel most comfortable is to try to go to work at a reputable club for a reputable superintendent. Um, those guys, the guys that come out of those places seem to have the most, uh, you know, I don't want to say that they have the best uh, training or, or whatever, but it's perceived that they have the best work environment that they're coming out of, that they have the best knowledge, and, and they, they seem to have a leg up in a very competitive environment when you're trying to move up to that superintendent position. 
they target those high-end clubs, and everybody's always reaching for, you know, I want to be the superintendent at X, Y, or Z right. country club, and you know, I want to I want to be a host superintendent of a U.S. Open right. or a PGA right. Championship right. or what have you, or a PGA Tour event. Coming from the opposite side of that, there's a lot of good things about working at that high-end public level. There are. Or private level, I'm sorry. But there's a lot of bad things that come with it, too. The it's, job loyalty yes. certainly doesn't seem to be there. There's a lot of changeover. A, it's lot. a lot. A revolving door on some of these yeah. places. And you get to a certain stage in your career, and we hear it all the time, of you move that guy out, bring somebody right. in who's much younger, works at half the pay. Right. Make a pitch to guys about why they shouldn't overlook a career in daily fee or municipal golf. Yeah, well, public golf is golf, too, and our, our patrons here appreciate a well-conditioned golf course as much as, as other places do. Um, it's still a rewarding job. You're still setting up a golf course. You're promoting the game. You're participating in the game. You know, we have events. We have a lot of events. We probably did over 80 golf outings this summer. So, you know, it's not like you're sitting around doing nothing. You, and, and our people expect a product out there, too. Um, it's, you know, it seemed like when I was a kid, I never got to play at private places. But that's kind of changed, you know, with golf outings and things. So people that play golf here 90% of the time, they still get to go to high-end places, and they see what those places are like, and they bring those expectations back here with them. So, you know, don't, don't think that you can't have a rewarding career at places charging 50 bucks for a round of golf because we're still as much a part of golf, maybe more so. There are more of our courses than those top high-end courses. And uh, I think that's helped to grow the game. I hope it continues to grow the game. And there's, there's a place in golf for all of all the golf courses. Ron, thanks for your time today. Appreciate it. You're welcome, John. Thanks for your interest in Dubu Park. You have been listening to The Ladder on TurfNet Radio. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher for instant access to past and future episodes of The Ladder and other TurfNet Radio podcasts. 